Evanescence. And uh, how many of y'all have ever heard that group before? If you're under 30, you probably have. Some of you are raising your hand and you have gray hair and I know you're lying. <coughs> Sinner. Um, the song is called Wake Me Up and it says, Wake Me Up Inside, Save Me From The Darkness. And that's kind of a little bit of what we're going to be talking about today. My name is Joe Davis. I'm a lead teacher in the garden. Happy Father's Day to everyone. We're continuing with our series on 2 Corinthians for the summer. And today we're talking about 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 through 6. The title of the message is simply, Don't Mess with a Good Thing. And you'll see how that ties to the song <coughs> clip that I just played in a minute. But let's start off with the authority part of the sermon, which is the Word of God. Let's just read what it says. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's Word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In other words, even if people can't understand the gospel, it's because they are perishing. And he says in the first part, we refuse to try to be smart and cunning and change it a little bit here and there just to make it more palatable. That's what he's saying. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. In other words, it's not a story that we make up. It's not a story that's made good by how we tell it or how we change it or anything like that. The what we preach, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And so he says, it's not us to you. It's God through us to you. You catch the difference? It's not us giving you this message that transforms your life. It's God transforming your life through a message that you hear from us. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a good passage. So what we do in the garden, we always look at the historical application we look at the theological, and then we look at the devotional. The history is what about man? What did he do? Why and how did he do it? So just in, in that aspect, I want to give you a reminder of two things. It's very important to remember about 2 Corinthians. There were those trying to change the gospel to make it more palatable to pagans and those who were trying to make it more in line with people who embraced Judaism or strict religion. They were trying to make the message something that was easy to believe in. They were trying to make the message something that was non-divisive. And there are two reasons, again, this is a review a little bit, why Paul wrote 2 Corinthians. The first one is he wanted to defend his authority as an apostle. He wanted to make sure people knew, I don't care what the religious leaders that had these letters of recommendation from from uh, Jerusalem tell you, I'm the one with apostolic authority. I'm the one that was given the gospel by Jesus Christ to give to you. The second reason 2 Corinthians was written was to defend the actual gospel. 
I want you to make sure that you understand, Corinthians, this is the gospel. Jesus Christ and Christ alone is the one who saves us and transforms us and glorifies us. It has nothing to do with how good of a Jew you are or how good of a pagan you are, how much money you make. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. See, so what Paul does is he addresses those who feel the need in this particular passage in in chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. What he does is he addresses those who feel the need for some reason to adjust the gospel so it could be more effective. People who took it upon themselves to say, the gospel's good, but it's not relevant to this particular city at this particular time, to this particular people, so we need to change it because we are in... It's funny because when people do that, they're saying, I am very instrumental in people being saved. I have to apply my knowledge. I have to apply my wisdom. I have to apply my creativity. I have to apply my giftedness. I have to apply my godliness to the gospel so that the people that hear it can receive. And what Paul does is he defends the power of where the gospel gets its authority. He explains that the power in the gospel lies, not, it's in God, but not in people. And it's important to understand that because, yes, people are part of how the gospel is communicated, but the power of the gospel is not in how well people share it. The power of the gospel is in how God chooses to use it. It's a big difference. So that's the history, quick and easy today. Let's look at the theology. What about God? What did he do? Why and how did he do it? I'm going to explain to you basically why the gospel works. I'm going to break it down for you. And, you know, this is not quite seminary level. This is like maybe undergrad level. But it's simple enough that I think you can understand and comprehend why the gospel saves us. And what is the gospel? Just for clarification, Jesus died for our sins, conquered the grave, and is coming again to take us to be home with Heavenly Dad forever. That's the gospel. And 2 Corinthians 4 teaches us that we are spiritually blind until God gives us eyes to see. Because let me explain the problem that we have. Because people by nature can't do a few things. This is us naturally. Like if we're just, you know, Joe Schmo on the street. I don't, why did I use Joe Schmo? If you're Steve Schmo on the street... See, I don't know why I fall into the trap. People by nature can't see the hopelessness of their spiritual condition. You know, by nature, yes, you can see you have problems, but you can't really see just how hopeless you are spiritually by nature. It's not a natural thing to see. You know what else people can't do by nature? They can't hear and understand the message of grace. By nature, man is not wired because why? Man is depraved, man is self-centered, man is self-reliant by nature. And so man cannot understand the fact that the only way he will survive is through undeserved favor, grace. And man cannot hear the fact that he has no hope within himself, the natural man. You know what else people by nature can't do? The result is this, natural human hearts are indifferent and sometimes even hostile to the gospel. 
See, when you preach the gospel, sometimes the response is, oh, that's great, or get that crap out of my face. People can be indifferent or they can be hostile to the gospel by nature. That is the natural response to the gospel unless there is supernatural intervention. As a matter of fact, verse 3 of our passage today says this, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. It is the, it's the gospel that spiritually blind people can't see and spiritually deaf people can't hear. So that's why man has a hard time with the gospel. Continuing on with our aspects of why the gospel works is how God uses the gospel. Now that first part was probably a little bit discouraging. This part trumps the discouragement. It's fantastic. First of all, and this is miraculous. I'm not sure why God set it up this way, but for whatever reason he did. God uses the church. It amazes me because the church is so flawed. We are not very consistent people. Oh, we put on a consistent church face, but we are not very good at church if we really want to be honest about it. And the church is not really good at church. Oh, the church is really good at looking like church, but the church is not good at church. And it's pretty amazing to me that somehow this collection of people who were once far off from God, once people who are naturally either indifferent or hostile to the gospel, once people who are unable to understand grace, God calls them, transforms them, and says, I'm going to use them to call and transform more people. Romans 10, 14 through 15 and verse 17. Paul explains the process of how God disseminates the gospel. It's a good word right there. I just threw that out there for you. I spend a lot of time each week in a thesaurus, and so I try to, to show off. How then will they call upon him who they have not believed? It's a rhetorical question. And how are they to believe in him, in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You follow what he's saying? How can they call on God if they don't believe? Well, they can't. And how are they to believe they never heard about Jesus. Well, they won't. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Well, they won't hear. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? You see what he's saying here? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And the part I left out, I'll quote a little bit later. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. Let me read it for you. He, and he says this in between verses uh, 16 and 17, uh, 15 and 17. He says this in Isaiah. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good news, who publish the gospel, who bring good news of happiness, who publish salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And what Paul does is, is very, it's ingenious. Because remember what he's doing. He's defending the gospel against religious people who say you have to have, you know, religion. He's saying, even Isaiah explained, how do people hear unless someone preaches? And how are they preached unless they're sent? And he says, as a matter of fact, I'm quoting a verse that you guys have all heard in Isaiah. How beautiful are the feet of those who publish the gospel who are sent, who bring the good news. That is a theology that Paul builds in Romans about how God uses his church to share the gospel. So first of all, how does the gospel work? Man is incapable. God uses the church. 
But then God does all the hard work. I love this part because I got to tell you, before I understood the sovereignty of God in salvation, before I understood that God is the one that saves and it's not up to my ability to be incredibly creative or incredibly inventive or articulate, good thing, (laughs) praying for your sinfulness as we... As we speak. (laughs) Here's what God does, and it's so comforting. I was talking to Steve McConnell this morning, talking about my message. He says, you know, the doctrine of election was originally meant to be comforting, but somehow it's been twisted into something that's scary or discouraging. But the fact that God chooses is so comforting. Watch. This is what God does. God does the hard work. First of all, he arranges the occasion. You know, when somebody hears the gospel, it's going back to what Paul said in Romans. How, are they, how do the people hear when somebody is sent? God arranges the time. God arranges the moment. God arranges the person that needs to hear it. And what happens is when somebody hears the gospel, and I'll explain this later, I have scriptural proof. When somebody hears the gospel, it is a divine appointment. It's a miracle because what God has done is God has unlocked the chains of schedule and relationships and everything else. And he says, I'm going to intervene right now so this person hears the gospel from this other person at this moment in their lives. So God does the hard work in the first aspect. He arranges the occasion, the actual moment where the hearing is done. The second thing he does, and I'm so glad he does this, he opens spiritually blind eyes. At that moment, according to God's will, when the person hears the gospel by the occasion that God has appointed, that divine appointment, God also opens a person's eyes to see, whoa, I am in a bad spiritual condition. And he opens our spiritually blind eyes to see what shape we're really in. And then he does something else which is equally miraculous. He gives ears to, eat, to hear. He gives the understanding for the intellect. He helps you understand it philosophically. He helps you understand it, yes, scientifically. There's a scientific aspect to the gospel that I'll share with you one day. He helps you understand how the whole process, oh, substitutionary, he died instead of me. Oh, I get it. Oh, he, he conquered the grave. And he begins to give you this not only ability to see your plight, but your intellectual ability to understand the gospel. Gives you ears to hear. And he ministers to your intellect and to your philosophical thirst for truth. And then, probably what I think is the most exciting, most important part of the hard work of God in the gospel, I mean, besides the cross, which was pretty hard, he softens our hard hearts. You know what he does, guys? I, I love watching him do this in people's hearts. I love watching this. He breaks down your resistance, and he produces a heart of capitulation. See, what man wants to do naturally is to not capitulate. Man wants to fight. Man wants to stand firm. Man wants to stand tall. Man wants to be successful. And what God does is when the gospel is heard, 
He opens up the occasion, opens up the eyes, gives the ears and the intellect the ability to hear and understand. Then he softens our heart and he allows us to break down our resistance to grace and supernaturally, not by human divine, not by human choice, supernaturally, we capitulate to grace. And we say, okay, I get it now. It's about Jesus and not my religion. It's about Jesus and not my righteousness. Let me just sit down and receive grace. This is a super, guys, I want to make sure you understand. We all think of miraculous as, you know, you know, a magic trick or healing a sick or, you know, me hitting a bunch of three-pointers in a row, miraculous. <laughs> this is the supernatural work. Salvation is the supernatural work of God. The miracle moment when a person who can't see when a person who can't hear, when a person who can't understand, when a person who can't trust suddenly puts all their heart and their faith and their hope and their trust in the value of Jesus and his work on the cross. It's a miracle. How did that happen? Just a couple days ago, I didn't care about Jesus, and now he's my everything? Wow. That's miraculous. And Paul builds this theology consistently all throughout his epistles to other churches. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, 16 through 18, he explains this. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. May give you the spirit of wisdom. And revelation, opening your eyes. In the knowledge of him. You see that? I'm praying that God gives you wisdom and opens your eyes to understand and know him. Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. You don't like that one? I got another one for you. Probably doesn't surprise you, right, that I got another one for you in case you didn't like that one. Well, I don't like that one, Pastor Joe. Okay, try this one. How about in Philippians? Paul wrote this one too. For it is... Okay, he just kind of makes it pretty clear. You can argue it if you want, but, you know, your fight's with Paul, and he's dead. <laughs> For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Hmm. For it is God who works in you and hopes you'll make a decision. Is that what it says? Nope. He enlightens you, he quickens you, makes you alive, and he does it because he wants to. The miracle is that he even wants to. <laughs> That's the miracle, right? Why would he bother? He doesn't need us, but he wants us. So let's look at the devotional part of this, shall we? I'm going to tell you that the effective, uh, some things and examples that the effectiveness of the gospel is not dependent on. And it took me a while to realize as a pastor, especially a brand new one out of seminary, you know, who had a lot of not quote unquote knowledge, I had to realize a couple things about the gospel. The gospel is not dependent upon how saintly we are. Well, I'm going out and sharing the gospel because right now I'm on a roll spiritually. I'm praying a lot. 
studying scripture, memorizing, I'm tithing, I'm mowing my neighbor's lawn when they're not looking. I haven't flipped anybody off on US 41 in months. I'm not speeding. Let me tell you something, I'd never be able to share the gospel. Because of the speeding, not because of the... You know what else the gospel's not dependent upon? How tenacious we are. Oh man, I'm going to be relentless with the gospel. I'm going to pound it in until they get it because they've got to hear it over and over and over again. I'm going to be loud. I'm going to be obnoxious. I'm going to leave gospel tracks on the table, even though they're offensive at the restaurant for the, instead of a tip. I've, some Christian, I would give them a tip of what they really need is the value of Jesus. Here's a track. Give me a break. I'm not kidding. I know people that do that. You think you need money, but you need Jesus. Here you go. Actual cash value, 0.01 cents. It doesn't matter how tenacious you are with the gospel, how loud you are, how often you share it. That's not what the gospel is dependent on. You know what else it's not dependent on? And this is important for you to understand. I hope this frees you up a little bit. It doesn't depend on how tactical and rehearsed you are with it either. The gospel is not dependent upon how good of a sharer you, you become. Well, I've got my outline. Boom, boom, boom. I remember when I first got into ministry, there was this thing called evangelism explosion. And I'm not saying it's not a great thing, but it was like this very intense training to teach people the outline of the gospel. And it was like you had to go through a lot and you had to do a lot of writing and memorizing. I got news for you. God can use you if you don't go through evangelism training. Is that good news? God can use you if you don't know everything about the gospel. God can use you. So the gospel is not dependent upon how tactical or rehearsed you are. And then I love this one. The gospel is not dependent upon how innovative or inventive you are. How good at adjusting the message you can be to make it palatable in certain situations. The gospel does not depend on your creativity. Because you know what happens when you start to depend on those things? This creates a couple of things. It creates misplaced certainty in our ability. Like we're able to be the ones somehow that win a heart. Or somehow we're able to give the gift of faith. How arrogant is that? It's misplaced certainty in our ability. You know what else it does when you depend on these things? It shows a, a lack of understanding that God is the one who saves, not you. I was talking to a friend of mine. He's in Phoenix, and he ran into a pastor who's in a large church. And this pastor was, at, my friend is an athletic director. Don't Google this, okay? My friend is an athletic director in a school there, and he hired this pastor to coach one of the teams. And, you know, he was kind of, I guess, coaching kind of like I would, loud and throwing stuff. And, and so my friend had to call him out and say, hey, listen, you're not being a good leader. And listen to what the guy says. He says, you don't know anything. First of all, my friend is like an ex, uh, you know, special forces guy. Injured his leg and, you know, parachutes in Iraq. And like, like he's the real deal. And this, this local pastor who was a coach said, you don't know anything about leadership. I baptized 3,000 people last year. That's leadership. 
That's disgusting is what it is. Because that shows a lack of understanding who God, how God really uses the gospel. You know what else it shows? It shows a lack of confidence that can create paralysis. This is the other side that says, one side says, well, I'm really good at it. And here's the other side that says, I'm terrible at it. I can never do it. If you think that the gospel depends on the things that I outlined before, and if you don't feel like you measure up, it'll paralyze you to never share. And that's just as tragic as the other side who says, well, I'm the one that has to do it because I'm really good. So what does it mean for us? First of all, and this is kind of the take-home part of this, there's no reason to feel insufficient when it comes to what John Piper calls gospel telling. There's no reason to feel like I'm not good enough yet. I have to reach another level of understanding, knowledge, consistency, creativity, tenaciousness. I cannot share the gospel yet until I reach, you know, on a scale of one to ten, I got to be at least a five and a half on these things. There's no reason to feel insufficient when it comes to God's process of saving people. You know what else? There is no reason to feel obligated to adjust or enhance the gospel. Well, the gospel's good, but I got to change. There's a a big church in town that's gone through a process that thought they had to change the gospel. And it's tragic. It's heartbreaking. There's no burden to manufacture results. This is the one that God kind of relieved me of the burden of when I first started in ministry. You know, I was in an independent, fundamental, separatist, KGB preaching, rock record burning, Baptist church. And all the talk was about how many decisions this month. Did you get some decisions? What are the decisions? Decision, 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 decision. We got to make sure we get decisions. We always should give an invitation because somebody want to make a decision. Decision, decision. And it was this, this pressure as a young pastor put on me. And I was actually the pastor of evangelism in one of these type of churches. And it was pressure. Well, you're not doing a good job in evangelism if you're not producing some sort of decisions. And it began to give me this burden like, when I share the gospel, I better have results or else I'm not doing it right. Let me tell you something. There's no commission system with the gospel. God didn't say, well, you shared it and you had a 22% close rate. That's pretty good. But you don't get your heaven point bonus until you get above 25. So make some adjustments. Be more tenacious. There's no burden. When it comes to sharing the gospel, there's no burden to manufacture results. So what do we, what's our motivation for telling the gospel? Our motivation for gospel telling changes when we understand how it works. It changes from getting decisions for Jesus, like somehow we can do the miraculous thing that I described, what God does, the occasion, opening the eyes, giving the ability to understand, and then breaking down the resistance, like we're able to do that. We're not selling vacuum cleaners here. We're talking about Jesus' love for humanity. It changes from us trying to get decisions for Jesus to joining God in his plan for his chosen, his 100% successful plan. Oh, you want scripture for that? Let me think if I can think of one. Oh, yeah, I got one. 
I love this one, man. Isaiah 55, 11 is so great. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So when all of a sudden in the midst of your sinfulness, in the midst of your insufficiency, in the midst of your lack of creativity, in the midst of your lack of godliness, in the midst of all of that, all of a sudden there is a divine appointment and occasion for you to share the love of Jesus. You know what you can think? This is going to be 100% successful no matter what. It's going to accomplish the purpose. And I am so privileged as a sacrifice of praise, as a sacrifice of service to allow my ability to rise up to be with God as he calls out his chosen. What a joyous privilege for us.